because relationships in church are really important. We glorify God by loving him and loving others. Jesus said that's the summation of God's heart for his people, to love him and love others. And so to love one another, we have to actually know each other and be willing to talk to each other. So that's why we do this uh, just for a brief moment and may it overflow into the rest of our lives. So I'm Zach, one of the pastors here. And if you have a Bible, you can open it. If you don't have a Bible and have a smartphone, you could open it up to Exodus 17. If you don't even have an app, you could just open up your browser and type in Exodus 17. So everyone should be able to have the words in front of them. And if not, it'll be on the screen. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. Exodus 17, verse 8. And Heather is going to come and read our text for us this morning. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rapidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help this morning. We come yet again this week and say that we want to receive from you because we're needy. We want to receive from you because we don't have it all together. Uh, we acknowledge that you are our good Father who's given us your word for the sake of glorifying yourself so that we can know you as God over all and what you're up to from beginning to end of history. Lord, we see that in your word, and as you are glorified in that way, we're satisfied. And so we come yet again this morning and say, Lord, satisfy us with your, your unfailing love. Satisfy us with your unfailing love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's take a second and, again, remind ourselves of some context, okay? You never want to read a Bible passage in isolation. You always want to know what's going, around, going on around that Bible passage. And so what's been happening in the book of Exodus leading us up to 17 verse 8? If you've been here or maybe haven't been here and have checked out the podcast, uh, recent texts, what have they been all about? Well, they've been essentially about this. God's people, are they going to trust him or not? God's people, are they going to trust him or not? Are they going to, another way of saying it, are they going to have faith in him or not? Because he's taking them through the wilderness, right? They've experienced some really hard things. And here's the deal for them and for us. Walking with God does not always mean ease. It doesn't always mean the easy route, right? 
Can you, can you relate to that? Most of us can probably relate to that if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes. And if you're here and you're not a believer, and we call you to become a Christian because Jesus is the living water that satisfies, coming to him is the best decision in the world, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be all rainbows and sunshine for the rest of your life on this earth. Walking with God does not always mean the easy road. I mean, we have an example of that, right? Jesus is the example of that. It's a cross before a crown, right? The crown's coming, but you gotta, you got to endure the cross, right? It's death before the resurrection. Resurrection's coming. My word, we're celebrating Easter in two weeks, but it's death before resurrection. That's the Christian life. So we see that in God's people, right? God promises there's going to be an actualization of my promises in your life. What's the promise? You're going to have a land. You're going to have a place. And I'm going to be your God. And I'm going to dwell among you. And you're going to be my people in my place with my presence. I'm going to give you this proactive mission to display my glory to the whole world. So you got to have a place, but you don't have it yet, but it's coming. But until it comes, until you get there, I'm going to call you to pass through some things. And for them, it was this wilderness. And the wilderness is not easy. What what have we learned in the last few weeks? Last week, Michael preached a great sermon about, again, this issue of water. We're in the wilderness. We don't have any water. And before that, it was, we don't have any food. Before that, it was water again. And before that, what was it? It was 430 years of slavery. But today, they run into a Today they run into a new problem. It's not slavery, food, water. It's that these people, the Amalekites, they want to kill them. They're hunting them down and they want to kill them. Look at verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought. So Amalek came to them. He's the, him and his people are the aggressor and, and fought with Israel. Verse 8. So we don't really know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. We can speculate. Maybe they felt threatened by this new group of people coming out through the wilderness Maybe they saw them as weak and wanted to plunder them. We don't know why. We just know that it happened. So the question then becomes, okay, here comes the aggressor hunting them down to kill them. What are God's people going to do? Well, look at verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. All right, so right now, did you notice that there's two approaches at play? There's two approaches at play. One is physical and one is spiritual. What did Moses say? He says, Joshua, you're going to have to go and you're going to do something. Joshua, you can't lay in bed all day. You're going to have to show up and you're going to have to fight. Okay, there's a threat and you're going to have to engage it. So you're going to engage physically, but guess what I'm going to do? I got this staff. And if you've been paying attention in, in Exodus, the staff always represents God's power flowing through Moses. So he said, you got the staff, and I'm going to show Pharaoh that my power is with you. And when you show up with your staff to Pharaoh, it's going to turn into a serpent as a sign that God is God and Pharaoh's not. And you're going to have the staff, and you're going to put it in the water, and the sea's going to part. And you got this staff, you're going to hit the rock, and, and rock's going to come out. I'm sorry, uh, water's going to come out of the rock. The staff of God is the power of God flowing through Moses. And so we got physical. Moses, you got to go engage physically. But what does Moses say? He says, I'm going to go up on this hill with two of my buds, and I'm going to take the staff, and God's power 
is going to come through me, and I'm going to fight spiritually. I'm going to fight spiritually. So Moses essentially tells Joshua to go out, use physical power, and he's going to use spiritual power. Okay, verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So this is just what happened. Verse 9 says do it, and verse 10 says they did it. Okay? But I want you to look at this next section very closely that we're going to read, and I want you to look for the punchline. I want you to look for, if, imagine yourself as a, a, um, an Israelite, maybe a generation or two after this actually happened, and they're reading this account that was written for them so they can know God and trust him. And imagine you're three millennia ago, you're reading this for the first time. You're the original audience. What would you learn about God and how you should relate to him? See if you can find this. What do you think is the big point? Verse 11, let's keep reading. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13, And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So what's the punchline at the end of the section? What is it? It's pretty obvious, right? Like, don't be, like, too cool to reflect on the obvious. I know sometimes in city group, your city group will ask an obvious question. Everyone's just like, I don't want to say the obvious question because it's obvious. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Say the obvious. The, the point is they win, right? The victory is the Lord's. His people win, right? The enemy is defeated. But what precedes that? What precedes that? Is, is the message that we read in verse 11 and 12 that Joshua was this amazing military strategist? It's not, is it? I, don't, I, I didn't see that. Did you see that? Is it that Israel's people are bigger and stronger and that's why they won? I don't, I don't remember reading that. Was it that um, maybe uh, Israel's military technology was so advanced that the Amalekites just, they didn't stand a chance? That's not what it says. What, what is it? What does it say? It was God's power flowing through Moses, wasn't it? The victory came because Moses surrendered himself to God's power and by his, this, this hands-raised posture, submitted himself to God as the true author of the victory. Look at the repeated word in verse 11 and 12. Whenever Moses held up his hand, verse 12, but Moses' hands grew weary, took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron held up his hands on one side and the on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Four times in two verses. Now, does, does Moses have magic in his hands? Is he just this like, man, may, the hands of Moses. Is that what we read about in, in the Bible? It's not. But think about the posture, this, this posture of hands up. Hands lifted, hands raised. What, what, is it, what does it signify? Yeah, surrender. That's right. I, I can think of a lot of things in our culture. Number one, it, it is surrender. It's the universal sign of, I got nothing, game over, you win. Okay? 
I'm at the end of my power, and I will submit to your power. That's what is communicated, hands raised, right? Anybody y'all like to go on a roller coaster? Really scary ones? Anybody? Don't be shy. Let's see them. Okay, so when you, now are any of you roller coaster lovers, do you do this on the roller coaster? What does that signify? That signifies, you know what? I'm out of control and I like it, right? Like I am in no control here because if you're white knuckling it on the roller coaster, that's like, ah, I'm scared. I want to be in control, but I can't, right? That's not a posture of surrender. That's not a posture of surrendering to the control of something else. This is like, man, this is awesome. I'm completely out of control. Or think about another example. Think about the two-year-old, the three-year-old. And what do they do when they're, they're acutely aware of their need, of their limitations, their fear, their desire for help? They draw near, and you got this little person with, you know, right by your leg, and they lift up their hands, and Daddy, hold me. Or when they're little, they say, Daddy, hold you. You know what I mean? Because you always say to them, do you want me to hold you? And they don't get like, no, hold me. They just say, hold you. And I, we, Kim and I always used to grieve when they started saying, hold me. Because like, no, it's so cute when you said, hold you. You know what I mean? But they say, hold you, meaning hold me. But what do they do? Arms up. Arms up. I, I, I'm at the end of my rope here. I can't feed myself. I can't assuage my fears. I can't whatever. I want you to hold me. It's also like a, a sign of openness, right? Like if, if someone is like hunched over like Gollum with the ring and, and they say, I'm open to the Lord. I have nothing to hide. Does that correspond? It doesn't. But if, I, if my physical posture is this, it connects with the verbal of like, I'm open. I got nothing to hide. I'm open to you. I'm open, I'm open for you to look into my life, whatever. I'm, I got nothing to hide. Then, then the physical posture connects with the, the verbal statement, right? It's a sign of openness. And the Bible talks a lot about this hands-raised posture. Like check, out, check out these references in the Psalms. There's a lot, but this is just a couple from the Psalms. Um, Psalm 63. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So it's a sign of worship. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 141. Oh, Lord, I call upon you. So this is like praying. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you, praying. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. So like rising up to God. And the lifting of my hands. In, so this is the context of prayer. Lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we have hands up in worship. My lips are praising you. My hands are up. I'm praying to you, God, so my hands are up. 1 Timothy 1, uh, 1 Timothy 1 2, 8 says that uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I desire that men lift hands, holy hands in prayer. And that's what Moses is doing here. In his very posture on top of that hill, that, that's biblically synonymous with prayer and worship. He's submitting himself to the power of another for the sake of victory. Just another way of saying he's pleading with the Lord. He's going to the Lord. No arms raised, no victory. Arms down, Israel loses. Arms up, they win. 
Like a needy child, like someone on a roller coaster experiencing that feeling of being out of control. Like someone stating that they're open with nothing to hide. Like the universal sign of surrender. This is what we see Moses doing. That's the emphasis of verses 11 and 12. You see that? And the point that I think we need to see is that God loves to give his power to those who are open like this. The power is not in the physical posture. The power is indicative of a spiritual reality. So the physical posture is important. It helps remind us. So do you want to experience God's power in your life? You want to know that he's real, that he shows up, and that he saves those who call out to him like Moses. Just think of the progression of what God's people have been through. If you've been around as we've been preaching through Exodus, there's probably something synonymous that you could probably relate to in your life. So let's just walk through it from a 30,000-foot view. God's people are enslaved. And so what do they do? Chapter 1, Exodus, they cry out to God. And God hears them and he saves them through this mighty act of judgment on sin and rescue of his people as they follow and trust him and his provision for salvation. But then... All right, we're saved and we're God's people. And then what happens? Hard things happen. Life happens. The wilderness happens. And following God was, was great as we're marching through the Red Sea. But then we hit the wilderness. It's not so great anymore. It's challenging. And God led his people to this place where there's no food, water. And now it feels like absolute chaos because there's people that are hunting us down wanting to kill us. So where does the power come from to continue on? See, ultimately for Moses and, and this text that we see, the emphasis is this posture of surrender, this posture of openness, crying out to God, which is, again, it's just a simple way of saying Moses was pleading with God in prayer on top of that hill. Because the power is the Lord's. Like, does anybody walk away from this text going, Moses is the man? Right? Is that the point? It's not, is it? You walk away from this text going, man, victory is all about God's power. Flowing through God's people as they surrender to him and cry out to him. God and his power is the focus. Now, they did have to do some things on the human side, right? Joshua did have to go, but Joshua has no power apart from pleading with the Lord and surrendering to his control and his power. God and his power is the focus of the text. So let me ask you, how is that going for you? How's that going for you? Let's, let's seek to apply this to our lives. Like, so... so as far as I know, we don't have Amalekites tracking us down to kill us. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't know about that in your experience. But tragically, in terms of like the nearest application of this text, there are still people who love God, who are God's people, who are Christians in this world today, who are being hunted down and killed simply because they're Christians. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news in the last months, couple years, but in Egypt, there's been some crazy 
crazy killings recently because people are simply Christians and they are being hunted down. And Christians are being attacked and killed just because they're Christians. This kind of thing is what this text is talking about. So what do those people in, those, those people in Egypt do? What do they do? Well, if someone's coming to my house and wants to kill me just because I'm a Christian, I may have to fight. If you, if you put me up to that, I may have to take a Joshua-like posture. But you got to know for sure that in the process, and we are praying like crazy because, Lord, the victory is yours ultimately. My life is yours ultimately. So do we defend and we pray like crazy. It's not either or. But thankfully, most of us in this room aren't being hunted down because of their faith in God. But in another sense, all of us are being hunted down because of our faith in God. Look at what the Bible says. This is 1 Peter 5. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around. He's, he's a hunter. Lions are a hunter. Like a roaring lion. Lions, what do they do? They stalk. They hunt. Seeking someone to devour. So we are being tracked down. Look at what Ephesians 6 says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The scheme of the devil, like we just learned, is stalking and killing. So we don't have Amalekites, but we got the devils out to get us. We've got the world and all of its influence that wants to get us. And I got my own sin. I mean, I'm just sinful enough in my, in my own self. I got, I got to crucify my own flesh, the Bible says. And we still face trials and tests and hardships. We got wilderness of our own, right? Everybody's got their own wilderness story. So we have to surrender our power because we don't have any. And give ourselves over to God's power. And simply lift up our hands to him as a sign of surrender and openness. And just, and just cry out to him. For many of you in this room, that's your, that, that, that's your application point. That's it. So many of us, we forget this and we go to this. It's just grip and control, and white knuckle as hard as I can, and I'm anxious, and I'm controlling, and it's all about me, and it's all about the strength of my grip, and my forearms, and my elbow, my bicep, and tricep, and shoulder, I'm just going to, and God says, no, 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 check out Exodus 17. You might have to show up, but unless you're up on that hill with this posture, you got nothing. So, again, we can't lay in bed all day. Joshua had to show up. But what's the emphasis of the text? Again, it's not Joshua. It's Moses and what he's doing. So let me ask you, what's the emphasis of your life? See, God's word wants us to know something deeply this morning. Is your life emphasis more on strategy and the grip and the white knuckle on the roller coaster? Because your, your life's a roller coaster, right? Is it this or is it this? Is it worrying, complaining? Grumbling is the biblical word that we've seen over and over again. 
Or is the emphasis more on the Moses posture for victory? Like some of you might actually need to walk up on a hill, find a hill in Madison this week, and just do it. And it will be a powerful reminder to yourself as you find that physical posture of where power in your life is found. Because someone's tracking you down. The devil's, you feel it. He's trying to track you down. Or, or you got sinful flesh that just, man, you cannot get a handle on. But ask yourself right now, where's the emphasis? Is it this or is it this? Honestly, this is why, one of the reasons why, we structure city group in our lives, in the life of this church. And we call you, if you're a member of this church, don't forsake your city group. So if you're a member, we should have 100% at city groups. That's just the vision of our church, okay? So if you're not in a city group, we want you to be in a city group. Why? Because it's for your blessing. And here's why. Here's one piece of that blessing. I'm not spiritual enough to find this posture just on my own. So what do we do? Collectively, as a church family, we structure it into our life. Okay? And so this week is our prayer week. We have a once a month prayer meeting. So we don't have a whole church prayer meeting. We do our prayer meetings in our city groups. We have a once a month structured prayer meeting in our city groups. And that's this coming week. And that's why we want you in a city group. Because we believe that you need a structured prayer meeting. I know I need that. I'm not spiritual enough just to do it on my own. I need you to come together with me and remind me, let's do this together. When we do it together, there's a sense of unity, a sense of togetherness, and we're all heading the same direction, and it's beautiful. I need that. And so that's why we structure it in. Help create the habit. So this coming week is our prayer week in City Group. And so I just want to call us as a church family to get after it, to get after it together. Let's not be sheepish in the way we pray. Let's be, let's be childlike and, and, and roll up on, on our Father's leg and just hold up our arms and say, hold me. Like, Lord, apart from you, I'm sunk. Lord, we, we confess that together as a church. Apart from you, we can do nothing. That's why our church is called the Vine, John 15, 5. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Let's get together in prayer and confess that. Apart from your power, we have no power, just like Moses. So come, Lord, bring it. We're open to it. We want it. We need it. We long for it. Maybe you could actually lift your hands in your prayer meeting as a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. And if your city group leader asks you to do it, do it. That doesn't make you weird. It makes you biblical, right? We, I, I showed you the text, right? Like, lifting hands makes me a crazy Christian. No, that's, that's, that's false. That's false teaching, okay? That's, 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 it's good to do what the Bible says. If you've never lifted your hands in prayer, why are you, why are you disobedient? I'm, I'm, I'm serious. The Bible says, I mean, get out of most of us in this room, you know, like white culture, super conservative. That's how I was raised. Like Lutheran, Scandinavian, we don't do anything. It's just this, robot, right? And, and that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you're going to pray, get on your face. You're going to pray, kneel. You're going to pray, lift your hands. So if there's a disconnect between what the Bible says and your experience, maybe it's a good time to ask ourselves, why is that? Why is that?
Your city group prayer meeting is not an event for you to attend. It's your very identity. Finding a prayerful posture is your identity as a Christian. It's surrender, submission to the the Lord's power and not your own. Openness, crying out to the Lord. Let's see how this text wraps up and then we'll be done. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So what what is this about? It seems kind of disconnected. Well, we have to remember that if you know the storyline of the Bible, this is not the last time that God's people will run into the Amalekites. Okay? And so what does Moses want to happen here? Or what, what does the Lord say to Moses? He tells him to do this. Write it down. Write what down? Well, it's going to be like a memorial. What's a memorial? Well, look at the word memorial. It's like memory. So God knows that his people, back then and us now, super forgetful. Okay? So he says, write it down. That the promise is, I will have victory over the Amalekites. They're going to come back again. And so what I want you to do is look to the past, because you wrote it down, and you're, in the future, you're going to look back and go, oh yeah, I remember. God promised to give us victory over the Amalekites. And so when they come in the future, you're going to look back to your past, and the past is going to give you amazing faith to propel you into the future when you deal with them. Does that make sense? So write it down, because you're forgetful. So you need to jog your memory, a memorial. And so some of you need to do this too. Some of us, I need to do this too. I don't do this, and I, I think I need to start. You need to get a file on your computer or get out a journal, and every time that God shows up in your life and does something powerful in response to you opening yourself to him and praying, it's like, Lord, I'm just praying that you would do this, and then he does it. Write that thing down. Write that thing down. And Lord, when we didn't have any money and you showed up and you provided miraculously, man, I got that one written down. Because in the future, we might be in that situation again. So I'm going to look back and go, oh yeah, God provided. He has promised to provide. And so now I'm in the, in the future and I got the situation and I'm going to be reminded and I'm going to move forward by faith and not by fear. Does that make sense? So an action point for some of you might be, you need to start a journal, a memorial. Here's how God showed up in my life. And you get that thing with 100 bullet points and that is, man, you go to war against lack of faith with that journal. You know what I'm saying? You go to war with unbelief by seeing God show up in your life, right? And you're reminding myself, oh, yeah, I forgot. How can I forget? Well, I'm so forgetful. But this is reminding me I'm moving forward by faith because God has been so faithful in my past. That's what, that's what the Lord is telling Josh, uh, Moses to do here. Look at verse 15, and we'll close with this. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So an altar, and Moses built an altar. What's the deal with an altar? In in the Old Testament, the altar was always a symbol of thanksgiving. So God did something amazing, and we're going to build an altar to remind us to be grateful. Again, it's a physical reminder that points to a spiritual reality. 
all right? Because we're so forgetful, I got to remember to give thanks for what the Lord did right here. It's like writing it down. And look at the name of the altar. This is really interesting. Um, I learned this week that the Lord is my banner. The word banner, the Hebrew word there for banner could be something like, it's like a military word that's kind of like a flag on a pole that would signify in a military situation a rallying point, a gathering point, where an army could return to where the, the banner was, the flag, and we, we can regroup, we can reinstruct, we can rejuvenate to engage the enemy. And so interestingly, Moses says this altar is going to be called the Lord is my banner. So when we forget We're going to regroup to this place. Well, where's the place? There is no place. It's the Lord. We're going to regroup at the Lord. Okay, the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our place of rejuvenation and reinstruction and regrouping. When the chaos is imploding on us, we're going to regroup at the Lord. Right? When we're up against defeat defeat and disaster, we don't go to the, the white knuckle grip. We go to here. Because look at what verse 16 says. Here, Moses says, was like a hand upon the throne of the Lord. That's what he's saying. He's like, a better translation would be like, as I was on that hill, it was like I had my hands raised and I was touching God's throne itself. That's what he's saying in verse 16. And we do the same thing. And we do the same thing. The Bible gives us the authority to claim to do the same thing. We reach out and touch the throne just like Moses. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll close with this. This is, this is the author of Hebrews writing to a church that's being, honestly, I'm just thinking of this in the moment, but the book of Hebrews is written to people that were savagely persecuted. And the whole message of the book of Hebrews is, I know you're being hunted down and persecuted. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Why? Because we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. So meaning he's not just of earthly stuff. He's of heavenly stuff. This Jesus he's talking about. High priest. What's a high priest? It's a mediator. Moses was a mediator. And and the book of Hebrews right out of the gate says, you know who's better than Moses? Jewish audience that's become Christians. You know who's better than this Moses guy you revere? It's Jesus And he's the true and final mediator. He's the great high priest. And so we've got him. We've got the mediator, Jesus, the Son of God. So what? All right, so let's hold fast to our confession. Don't give up. In light of this persecution, in light of them hunting you down, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Why? For we don't have a high priest or a mediator who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So he knows what it's like. People hunted him down too. He knows what it's like. He's with you. But... One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so that's the truth. And now in light of the truth, he wants to give you an application point. So what are we supposed to do? 16. Let us then with confidence draw near, what? To the throne. To the throne of grace. Just like Moses is talking about here. He had a hand on the throne. Hands up on the throne. And the author of Hebrews is drawing upon that and saying, we can do the same thing. Well, why would we need to do that? Because there's going to be times when we need to receive mercy and what else? Find grace to help in time of need. So again, Israel's people, Amalekites hunting them down. 
They're in great need. Moses says, if we're going to get through this, i got to be touching God's throne. i got to have hands up in, in total surrender and surrender to his control. It's all his power and not mine. And the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing. We come boldly to the throne of God. Why? Because Jesus' life, wrath-bearing death, resurrection from the dead, it's all true. So we can come boldly and touch the throne too. That's what it says. And say, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you, you're my one defense. You're my righteousness. You're all I got. Lord, I need you. And so I'm coming now because you said I could. Because the cross paid our sin debt. Because that tomb is empty. We're going to celebrate in two weeks. We celebrate it every day. We're going to really go all out in two weeks. Because all that's true, we have the audacity to call upon God, just like Moses, for the sake of victory. Isn't that amazing what's at your disposal? You think about that? He tells us, he commands us to come to him like that. If you're unwilling to come to him like that, why is that? Is it because we're forgetful? Is it because we're fearful? Is it because maybe it, if we find this posture like a two-year-old that we feel like he's going to drop us when he picks us up? What is it? What holds us back? And, and I want us to be reminded that like this isn't Again, this is not an event to like come to church and get encouraged and then go forth and like be encouraged for a few hours. No, this is a lifestyle. This posture is your life until the day you die. Right? Like I don't show up here like every week like, man, this sermon, it just came out and there was no stress and no nothing. And it's just like I just showed up and boom. It's like, no, I'm pleading with the Lord. Like I don't know what to say this week, God. I got nothing uh, unless you show up, there's no power. Like, I can, I can get up here and, and say some things, but Lord, if you don't do it, like, there's nothing in this church. There's no power in this church apart from you showing up. And that stresses me out because I want to be in control. So every week I do this roller coaster of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And I stand up here and I'm doing it evidently. And God shows up, you know. And then next week I do the same thing. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what this text means. And these people, like, if it's just me and me blabbering up here, there's no power. It's like, I do this every single week. I'm not a super Christian. And I call us to do that too. Like, I got parenting issues. I don't have it all together. Every single day, like, Lord, I don't know what to do in this parenting situation. Lord, we got, we got, we got a team in North Africa. And, man, they're slugging it out. Right? We want to plant churches in Madison. We can't just manufacture that. We come to the Lord and say, Lord, you got to do it. We want to see churches planted in Ecuador. Lord, you got to do it. We can't manufacture this. And you, you answer to yourself right now, what, where is that for you? And I promise you it's not a one-time thing. It's a posture. you got to get on that hill, raise up your hands, and you plead with the Lord. And if you're doing that every single day, that do, if you're embracing your weakness every single day, don't be discouraged. God's just calling you to be a Christian. You with me? That's just Christianity. You never get to this point where you're like, oh, I got it now. I'm good. No, no, no. That day will come in the new heavens and new earth. But until then, this is our posture. All right? And because the tomb is empty, we can come with confidence. And God gets the glory because he shows up and he provides. And when we see him do that, then we get satisfied. And that's what he loves. The giver gets the glory. 
and we do that together. That's when church is, is beautiful. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us? It's clear that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we ask for your help. We ask for you to bring it. We're so needy. Um, and we thank you that you promised to bring it. We thank you that you um, are so good to us to call us to just come to you. And so may we listen and do it. And Lord, we know that you get the glory as the giver. And we get the joy of, of being satisfied as the receivers. In Jesus' name, amen.